morning, everyone. Good to have you here this morning. Uh, let me start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful for your presence, for your goodness. We ask that as we turn to your word this morning, uh, that your spirit would be um, would be known and would be felt, <clears throat> teaching and guiding us to know and to understand uh, what you would be teaching us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> so, maybe you've noticed that we are not in John this morning. Um, today, today we have at, after service, after church or service, whatever you want to call it, we're having our meal, and we're going to come back. And we're going to have our annual meeting, and more than I think we've ever had in an annual meeting, we're going to be talking about quite a, diff- a lot of different things. We're going to be talking about updating or uh, amending our bylaws and putting uh, Max in as an elder, uh, voting on on the deacons and and talking about the same stuff we talked about budget and you know what happened last year, what we expect to happen this year, all that all that good stuff. And, and two two of the things we don't really do on a regular basis. We don't amend our bylaws really very often. This will be the second time we've amended them. But, uh, and we don't really put in any elders on a regular basis either. And so I've been thinking over the last couple of weeks, you know, maybe we should have a, a Sunday where we talk about elders. And then last week, Max actually came up to me and said, maybe it would be a good thing to preach on elders next week. And I was like, okay, that seals the, <clears throat> seals the deal, I guess. So, um, Uh, how, how do I want to start this? I, I guess I am much more comfortable preaching a passage of Scripture. And one of the reasons why I'm much more comfortable preaching a passage of Scripture is because I, I can kind of pick how long I want that passage to be and then just basically give me enough passage to talk for 30 or 40 minutes or whatever. But with topics, which is what talking about elders actually is, is topical, um, there's always so much more than I want to say than I actually have time to say because some of you want to go home and eat supper tonight and, and <clears throat> let alone eating lunch. Anyway, so here's my, my caveat, my, my out, I guess. There is so much more that we can talk about when it comes to elders. And I'm going to make mention of probably a few of those things, a couple of those things certainly, um, and I'm going to ask that you just put a little trust in, in, in that I've studied this more. I want to focus on really two things, character and, and primary function, character and primary function. Like I said, there are so many things that we could talk about. We could talk about what that primary function is actually going to look like. We could, talk, we could talk about so many things and we just don't have the time for it. Really, we could have a many-week series on elders and, and deacons and leadership in the church and, and talk about all those different things that it just we have today. So I hope that's okay. And it's been okay in the past. I, I hope I've shown myself to be one who cares what the Bible says, not what I think. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
And if you want to get ahead, you can turn also to Titus chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Both of these letters are written to individuals, Titus and Timothy, or Timothy and Titus respectively, um, by the Apostle Paul. Uh, And these are the two passages in the New Testament that give us a, um, a rundown of who an elder is and some of their function. These are the two places where Paul goes, this is what I'm going to do in this passage. It's the purpose of the passage. And it's in, in the case of, of Titus, it's one of the main reasons why he writes the letter to Titus to begin with. So that's where we're going to be primarily. That's where we're going to be exclusively, excuse me, in Timothy and in Titus. Like I said, though, there are lots of places in the New Testament that talk about the role of the elder or give us an example of the elder uh, or the the leaders of the church. Many of those we find in the book of Acts. And and so you can do a more exhaustive study. And I'm going to recommend a book at this point and talk about it a couple times uh, this morning. This is a book. This is we don't have a manual for elders in this church. But this is just about as close as it gets. I gave it to Max. Um, the, the leadership, the governing board members are, have, have, have received it as well. I think most, at, at least most of them. Um, now that I say that, maybe they haven't. But, um, this is a very good series. It's called the Nine Marks series um, on different things. Church membership, church discipline, biblical teaching, this, that, and the other thing. Basically, this is an extremely good resource to have. Whether you think at some point in your life you might be an elder at this church or at any church, or if you just simply want to have a better understanding of how the structure of this church is going to is is what the structure of this church is. This is a very good a very good book. It's only like 125 pages. Um, it's it's relatively big print for a small book like this, so it's a fairly easy thing to read. It's not complicated. It's not a theological treaty that has Greek and Hebrew words in it and all that kind of stuff. I think there might be some, but it's a very good resource. Next week, I'll have a couple copies if, if anybody wants to read it and doesn't want to buy the book. They're pretty inexpensive anyway, so if you want to buy the book, go ahead. Okay. Having said that, like I said, you can find a lot more of the what is this going to look like in that resource. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 to start, and then I'll quickly read Titus, and, and we'll come back around and Chapter 3, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must be, he must not be, excuse me, not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a trap, into a snare of the devil. And then quickly jump over to Titus. And what you'll find is that 
the, the language in Titus is very similar, kind of a couple words here and there that are, that are, that are different. Um, like I said, same, same writer, the Apostle Paul is the writer of both of these letters. He's writing to individual uh, kind of pastor-like characters in Titus and Timothy. Um, so the language is very much the same. There's a couple little variations here and there, but the kind of the, the spirit of it is, is the same. And then what, what he does in Titus is he then gives some, some more uh, kind of purposes for the elder, which we'll read also. So verse 5, chapter 1. This is why I left you in Crete, you being Titus. I left you in Crete. Crete is a, a, a town, uh, an island, actually. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So uh, we're not going to spend very much time in Titus, so I'm going to just give you some the overviews here quickly. So Paul left Titus in Crete, and he left him there for the purpose of kind of Finishing the task. So Paul goes through Crete. He starts a couple churches, preaches the gospel, people come to know Jesus. And then he leaves Titus there to, to finish setting up the organizational structure of the church, the churches, excuse me, in Crete. And Paul instructs Titus to do this by appointing elders in every town. And, and as a point of interest, elders is plural in every town. Singular. So there's supposed to be a plurality of elders in the local church. In the local church. He goes on. Verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy words, word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Now, much of what I just read is very, very similar to the, to the Timothy passage. And then he adds that, that last little bit, which is, which is the, what is the primary task? Well, what is the primary task? is to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So teach good and stop bad teaching, right? And then he explains it more fully in verses 10 to 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching, by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of, of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences, consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So because we're not going to really take time to look at that, I just want to sum this up. Teach what's right. Stop the teaching that's wrong. Basically. 
So let's go back to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 again. The, the, first, the first thing that I want to quick, quick talk about is, is kind of, the, kind of the, the origin, the starting point for, for anybody to step into the role as elder. Here at Christ Church, our, our uh, rules or system is that anybody in the church can nominate any person in the church to become an elder. So you can nominate anybody in the church to become an elder. At that point, as long as they're members of the church and have been here for a certain amount of time, then it comes to the to the deacons and the governing board, or the, the governing board at this point, soon to be deacons, the deacons and the other elders, and it goes through a process of, of lots and lots of prayer, lots and lots of conversations. Um, we have a, an interview process. We go to uh, we go to more prayer, and then we bring it to the church, and, and then you guys will, will vote later on today. So that's kind of our like process. But how it, how it starts is is uh, maybe not interesting, but how it starts is, is has a particular structure. In this book, I agree with almost everything in this book. The one place that I think I can actually disagree is this idea that if you want to be an elder, you have to desire to be an elder. You have to want to be a leader of the church. Um, and, and the only reason why I disagree with that, in I guess in principle, is the Titus passage where he says, I, I'm leaving you here so that you can appoint elders in every town. Titus is the one who's seeking these people out. Not the person, not the person who becomes an elder doesn't have to initiate the conversation to do that. But what what Jeremy, who is the author of this book, Jeremy Rennie, Rennie, I think is how you pronounce it. What his point in that is is there's kind of there's kind of two extremes, and then kind of everything in between. There's the one where you go, I recognize that God has gifted me with leadership abilities, that I am a mature believer, and that God has done work in my life, and and I I want to step into a role of leadership in the church. I want to. I want to cultivate and grow the church, which is the primary function, one of the primary functions of, of eldership. This, that's the one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is, is perhaps knowing that that's not what you're called to be, but rather are called to be something else, right? Not everybody in the church is a hand or is a foot or is the heart or is the, or is the whatever, right? We're all, we all make up the body of Christ and we all have different, different points of strength and different giftings and not everybody should preach. You know, James says not everybody should preach. Number one, because it's illogical. Because if everybody was preaching, nobody would be listening. What's the point of preaching? But my point is, not everybody should preach because that's not everybody's gift. Not everybody is supposed to stand up by God's design and and, and expound the Bible. And and the same thing is true. Not everybody should be the spiritual leaders of the church. There are people who just aren't that. And I think that's probably the place that we kind of stop a conversation. Maybe you have a different calling. And the, the primary place that the elders' work is, is within the local body of the church. You know, I, I am an elder of this church. Wes is an elder of this church. And, and, and Max will hopefully become an elder of this church uh, later on today. And, and our primary focus is you all, right, is, is the, the believers who meet in this place. It's not that we shouldn't go out and evangelize. It's not that we shouldn't be part of missions. But the, the primary focus of our effort and time is this church. It's prayer for the people who are in this church. Um, teaching the people who are in this church. Preaching to the people who are in this church. Growing with the people who are in this church. And, and sometimes that's not what our call is. right? Sometimes our call is, yeah, I care about the people in this church. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to, I'm going to maybe teach you or whatever. But my primary calling is outside of the building 
to people who don't know Jesus. That's what God's gifted me and, and evangelism and all this. If that's who you are, that's good. It's great, in fact. One of the problems that we have, and I think the reason why Paul says um, anybody who desires the, the task of overseer desires a noble thing, um, I think the reason why he says is because we have this, especially in our culture today, we have this idea of what leadership is. We think that a, a leader in any particular organization is is, uh, is supposed to be and is obviously the most important person there, which is just simply not the case. That's not what leadership is. There's, there's no, I'm not the most important person in this room just because I'm the pastor and the preacher in this church. It's not how it it's not what it is. In fact, my, my role might not even be the most important role played. Somebody who is loving and compassionate, who is far more loving and compassionate than I am, because I certainly lack in those areas, is probably performing more of Christ's work than I am on a regular basis. I, I hope that makes sense. I'm not going to spend much more time there. But I think the reason why Paul puts this here is because he wants to he wants to kind of dispel this idea that that wanting to be in a position of leadership is prideful. Now, it certainly can be, but it's not necessarily prideful to to know that God has gifted you and then to enact those gifts. I I believe my, my belief as an example, my belief is that I'm gifted to preach. I'm supposed to preach. God has given me the ability to to think and to be able to reason through the task of preaching. But I sure hope that I don't that I don't come up here with with arrogance or with with overcomers of pride in the fact that it, oh, once you hear me preach, you're going to certainly know Jesus. That's certainly not the case. Actually, most of the time when I come up here, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm woefully inac- inadequate for this task. And that's why I need to rely on God. The same thing is true with leadership within the church. And it is supposed to be leadership in the church. Elders are supposed to lead the church. They're not just supposed to be there to, to be a friend and a companion. They're supposed to lead by example, by teaching, by praying, by walking with and helping to grow and cultivate. It's the role of the of the elder. So Paul says, I desire a no- you desire a noble task. And then he says, verse 2, and once we get through verse 2, we'll, we'll speed up a bit, I promise. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. An overseer must be above reproach. That is quite a tall order. It's an extremely tall order to think that as people look at me, they should see Christ. And they should see him clearly. What this doesn't say, to, to clarify here, what this doesn't say, is that if you want to be an elder, you have to be perfect. There would be no elders. It would be Jesus, and that's it. There would be no elders because no person has ever been perfect. But what I think Paul is actually getting at is that, is that as, as you go through your life as a believer, there will be change. That's part of being a believer, is that there is change and there's growth, and you become more like Christ as you go through your life. And what Paul is, is indicating and what we'll see as he goes through this list in just a second is that the effects of Christ's salvation in your life has changed you to the point where if somebody looks at you and observes you, they see Christ, not just sort of, but plainly, that your life has been markedly changed, for the better, by the way, by Christ and your relationship with him. Now, in the church today... We really don't like this idea of being changed. 
point. Our culture tells us you're fine just the way you are. No, you're not. Okay, that's what the Bible says. You are not fine the way you are. You are a sinner. You are broken. You are flawed. You're not fine. Don't stay where you are. This is why people actually hate Christians, because we can't get around that statement. The whole Bible says it. So we don't like that idea that I'm supposed to be changed. And then we also we really don't like the idea for somebody to kind of stand on the fact that they're changed. Right? For me to stand up here and say, if you would look at me whenever I was in high school and compare me to now, I'm a very different person. Christ, the, my relationship with Christ has very much marked me and changed me and, and transformed me to a pretty much different person. A couple years ago, I had we had our 10-year high school high school reunion or whatever, and, and I went in, and it was pretty much just my peer, my friend group or whatever who was there it was really low turnout. And it, beside the point, and we were talking for a little while, talking for a little while, and eventually somebody went. So I said, "What do you do, Ryan?" And I went, "Oh, I'm actually a pastor of the church." And the one girl, she went, she went, "What?" She's just like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah," but that's kind of that's kind of the the point, right? That's that's what we want. That's what we need to see in an elder. It's somebody that you go, not that you have to be a bad person, a horrible human being, which is arguable for me as, as in high school, but you don't have to be the worst human being in your life, but there's still a marked change to the point where if somebody looks at you, they can see Christ. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the elder is to show Christ, is to, is to proclaim him with our voices, with our actions, with our deeds. To show Christ. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's a, it's, it's such a tall order. And a couple weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago, rather, Paul in, in Philippians, he was talking he was talking about himself, and he says, imitate me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I told you that it's like the most ridiculously scary thing for me as a preacher to preach, because I think that Paul is, is Paul means that I should say the same thing. Especially, so as a preacher of this church, I should say that. As an elder of this church, I should say that. Especially in the last couple weeks, I'm like, man, I am just a bonehead. And I just, I'm not above reproach. And yet, this is what I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm called. This is what we're supposed to seek in the leaders of the church as people who are, who are seeking the Lord and who know that they're not perfect. Right? If, if anybody thinks they're not perfect, Paul, or John tells us in 1 John, he says, if you, think you're, if you think there's no sin in you, you're a liar. Because there is. So just as much, being above reproach is just as, much about, just as much about knowing your sinfulness and repenting for your sinfulness and, and seeking that change as it is about achieving that change. An overseer must be above reproach. And then I think what follows, at least in Timothy, is what that then looks like. So the idea is I'm supposed to live my life above reproach. And, and just so we're, we're very, very clear, that's an outside visualization. That's, that's for everybody else to look at you as an elder. So for me to be above reproach is not that I think that I'm above reproach. It's that, it's that the outsider or that you as the church member can look at me or Wes or Max and think they're above reproach. And this is how it this is how it manifests itself, right? What follows in verse two, verse two, second part of verse two is it, the husband of one wife. Now the point of this verse 
uh, is not to clarify that, that elders are men. Um, we at Christ Church believe that elders should be men. We think that there's other passages in Scripture uh, that, that women are, or wives are not supposed to have authority over their husbands. Husbands are supposed to lead the home and lead the church. There's other places. And if, we want to have, if you want to have that conversation with me, talk to me later. It's too hard to fit it into this sermon. But what this verse is actually saying, husband of one wife, more literally, it's one woman man. One woman man. It's, you're, not, you're not out with a bunch of other women. You're not seeking other women. You're not addicted to pornography or things of that nature. It's, it's you care exclusively and only about your wife in that, in, in that regard, your wife. Obviously, you care about your children as well, but that your primary focus, right? Your one woman is your, is your wife, is your spouse. Sober-minded. And we can look at that and we can think, oh, sober-minded means you're not supposed to have fun. Some church denominations, you look at the elders of the church denomination, you go, they believe that sober-minded means they're not allowed to have fun, they're not allowed to joke, they're not allowed, they're not, they have to be sober, strict. No, it's not what it means. It means having control over your emotions. It's having control over when your emotions are there and they're going to be. It's being able to keep your head. So when life is just crashing down around you, or life is crashing down around somebody in the church, you have the peace of mind to keep your mind in check, to keep your emotions in check so that you can continue to minister the word properly. Similar, but just slightly different, self-controlled. Self-controlled is probably probably more about keeping the emotions in check, whereas sober-minded is about keeping the reason and the intellect in check. Self-control. Don't let yourself be blown around by the, the events of your life. God is good even when life is not. Being self-controlled helps you to, to, to work that out in reality. Respectable. This is another one of those words that is not about me respecting myself. I'm not supposed to respect myself. That's not what the point is. The point is that you're supposed to respect me. Or you're supposed to respect Wes or Max or any other elders in the future that we might have. That, that respect is, is not that everything that they say is right, everything that they say is good, but everything that they do, at least at its initiation, is something that I desire to be like. So as I look at, and, and Max is probably going to be mad at me, but he's the one who brought it up last week. Max, as I look at Max and I see his walk in, in Christ, and I see where he's, where he's been and where he's going in his heart for, for you all and for, for me and for his family and, and friends. And I, 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 I want that to be a part of my life. And, and, and my respect for him kind of pulls me towards that, pulls me towards those actions that I see happening in him. So we have to be respectable. Now we can do a lot of really good things, right? We can have really good characteristics, but, but if, I don't, if I don't walk with a sense of, of respectability, if, if, my, if my arrogance gets in the way of my good actions, then, then I really have no, dare I say so forcefully, I really have no place as an elder in the church. Hospitable. One of my favorite lines out of this book um, is, uh, he, he's talking about hospitality and how, how the elder is supposed to be hospitable, which, which means having people in your home, caring for people. He's like, he's like you, should, you should smell like a sheep. You should smell like a sheep because we are the shepherds of the church. The church is the sheep. And, and, and we need to be with you in order to know what your problems are, know what your successes are, know what your needs are. And all like, if I don't, if you don't smell like a sheep, if you don't, you're probably not, you're not, you don't care for the people. You need to be hospitable. Not, you need to also be able to teach. Now, this is what distinguishes elders and deacons 
elders and deacons. The difference between an elder and a deacon, according to the next verses, 8 to 13 in Timothy, uh, is that elders and deacons have a lot of the same, you know, be respectable, hospitable, things like that. But but the able to teach, that's 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 the elder's role, right? Deacons can teach, but in order to be an elder, you need to be able to teach because, because again, the primary thing that you're going to be doing is teaching people about Jesus, teaching people about what it looks like to walk in the faith. You need to be able to speak it, right? It's Yes, a lot of times actions speak louder than words. But as an elder, you got to speak. you got to be able to tell people about Jesus. You need to be able to articulate and, and, and rationally explain what it means to, to have Christ in your life and for his blood to cover your sins. You need to, be able to tell people about that because that's your primary role. Not a drunkard. Don't be, don't be a drunk. I think pretty self-explanatory. Not, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. All of these things are about, about either emotions or, or other things taking control of your life. Again, that goes back to self-control. Be, be in control of what's, what's happening. Which is what we are all, as Christians, told to strive for. That's what we're supposed to be. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if he does not, but for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I heard it explained once that that the elders' uh, family is a a microcosm of the church, right? And what you do in your family is going to echo into the church. How are you? How are you going to? Do you, are you going to tell people about Jesus if you don't tell your kids about Jesus? Are you going to read the Bible with people in the church if you don't read the Bible with your children or your wife or your or, or your extended family or whoever it might be? And really, the answer is no. You can't do it with the people who are closest to you, who you're with all the time. Then you're probably not going to do it to the people that you have to work at being with, right? Because really, three people aren't aren't going to be able to be with all of you seven days a week. It's pretty. I think it's pretty. Pretty logical way to think about it. Now, one of the things that Paul says in Titus that he doesn't say here is that your children should be believers and not up for the charge of debauchery and things like that. I think that there are two types of unbelieving children. I think there are unbelieving children because we have free will and we can choose not to believe. You could have done everything right and your child could still not believe. And then there are children who don't believe because you didn't do a very good job teaching the children. right? And that's, I think, what Paul is actually getting at. We can look at the family of the elder and say, well, did they tell people about Jesus in the home? I'm probably not going to do it here. It's a primary role. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The same, the same thing that happened to Satan. Satan thought he was bigger than his britches and he got cast out of heaven. Same thing is true. Young believers, new converts are often very, very on fire for the Lord. But that's not going to sustain you in, in the idea that people are looking at you for leadership and guidance. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. One of the conversations that, that I've had over the last couple of weeks with a number of different people, Max and, and Wes and, and a couple other people, is is kind of this idea of, of not, not wanting the title. Right, not and you know this kind of this sense of I don't want to be prideful, wanting people to think of me as an elder. But but I think 
by nature of being an elder within the church, you really do need to be a visible, known elder. Part of the role of the elder in the church, the leadership of the church, is to lead by example. And you can't lead by example if nobody knows that you're the example to look to. And so we call you elder. We call somebody the leader of the church. And we tell other people, look look at this guy. Look how he leads. Look how he lives. Look how he's acting. This is what we should do as well. So a lot of the role of being an elder is a visible role. And again, it's terrifying. Terrifying, especially when God goes out of his way to make sure he reminds you that you're not there yet, which he does that to me quite often. You're not there yet, Ryan. Keep working. So what does that's the character of the elder. It's the character of the elder. Hopefully over the last couple of weeks you've been praying about Max and and not, not just Max, but also Adam and Andrew and Mike to be the deacons. Um, and hopefully some of you have read this passage and looked and examined Max and can, can concur. Um, and I want to continue to encourage you in that. Now the next thing that we ask is, what is the role? And this is much, this is much simpler, much quicker. I think there are, there are really two things, two things that the elders, the elders' primary task were. One, to pray. Pray for you, pray for the church, pray for the outside world, pray for evangelism, missions, all the things that we do, we want to pray. Wes and I, we, we, we meet, try to meet at least every, every week, and we pray for you. We pray, we, we pray for the things that are going on in this church. With adding Max into this, we'll, we'll kind of grow that ability to pray for each other. We want to lead you in prayer. You know, one of the things that, that we'll talk about later today is we want to try to get we want to try to get prayer cultivated in this church this year. And that's one of the things that we're supposed to do as elders. We're supposed to pray for you. And the other thing is we're supposed to teach. We're supposed to teach you what the Bible teaches. We're supposed to tell you what happens. Now, there, again, are, are a myriad of different ways and avenues that those things happen. But when we boil it down, that's really what it ends up being. An elder is supposed to lead, not by lording authority over you. That's not what leadership is in biblical. Biblical leadership is not lording authority over you. Biblical leadership is leading by example. It's leading by leading by lifting the other, lifting you up, growing and cultivating you, being there when you're when you're in your in, in struggles, being there in your joys, being with you, smelling like sheep, teaching the word and praying. Now, why? Pretty simple. Why do we have these leaders? To glorify God. The thing that Paul says to Timothy or to Titus, excuse me, this is the one thing that I want to go back to here. If I can find the verse, my eyes aren't finding the verse that I. The reason why an elder is here is to, is to protect the word protect the truth by teaching it and by rebuking those who contradict it. It says, therefore, rebuke them sharply, not because you want a power trip, but rather that they may be able, they may be sound in the faith, which leads you to know Christ better. Leads you to know Christ better. It's ultimately not for our own glory, Often being an elder is not glorious. But it's to, it's to lead you to know your Savior more. 
Heavenly Father, first and foremost, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was first our shepherd, all of us. He called us out of the wilderness, called us out of wandering in the darkness into your fold. That he was the perfect example, the one who truly is above reproach. We thank you that you are good and compassionate to us, just continuously wayward shepherds, sheep. We ask now, Lord, that we, as we've been thinking about the leadership of this church and the structures and all that kind of stuff, that maybe isn't as exciting, Lord. We ask that we would, that you would bless us with your presence manifest in the leaders of this church. Not just the elders, but the deacons, Sunday school teachers. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that this isn't just for arrogance or pride, but is ultimately for the glory of your kingdom. We ask that our hearts would be be humbled by the task. That you would forgive us where we've wronged where we've been wrong, where we have sinned and fallen short. That you would free us from strongholds and bondage. We thank you for Jesus. His gift on the cross is how we achieve this, how we accomplish this. In Jesus' name.